and welcome back to Series 7 of State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. I'm really sorry for the huge gap between Series 6 and 7. So much of life has just happened recently, but it's amazing to be back and recording again, and I'm really excited for this series to come. We're going to be kicking things off today with an episode on intuitive eating, but coming up over the next few weeks, we have an interview with Dr. Jenny Goodman, author of the incredible book, Staying Alive in Toxic Times, an episode on fertility nutrition, histamine intolerance and iron metabolism, the vaginal microbiome, and so on and so forth. As ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it around. And if you're new here, then there's six series of State of Mind that you can go back and catch up on. So on to today's topic of intuitive eating. And my guest this week is Jade Layton. Aside from being one of my oldest friends, Jade is also a nutritional therapist with so much knowledge to share with you all. This chat is completely unedited and my goodness do we cover a lot of ground. We delve not only into the principles behind intuitive eating and our very much uncensored opinions on that, but also candida, blood sugar balance, gut health and more. I'd like to warn you though that some of the content may be triggering for those dealing with a difficult relationship with food. One of the best uses of intuitive eating is in recovery from an eating disorder and we do cover this in the podcast. Jade can be found at underscore Jade Layton on Instagram and online via the Holistic Health Method. Okay, enjoy the show. I can't believe I get to talk to one of my best mates on my podcast. This is so great. So, hi, Jade. Yes, and I can't believe that after all of the years of listening, I actually get to speak to you. Yay! Um, so, Jade, you haven't heard it yet because I haven't recorded it yet, but there was an introduction explaining who you are and the topic for today. So we don't need to delve too much into that. The first thing I will say, dear listeners, is that there I'm going to give you a slight uh, trigger warning. So Jade and I are going to discuss... Um, how intuitive eating can be useful for recovering from eating disorders. We're also probably going to mention restrictive diets. And if that is uncomfortable for you, uncomfortable ground for you at all, then um, listen to the next episode instead. So firstly, Jade, just tell everyone who you are. Okay, thanks, Grace. And no need to mention our wild times in St. Lucia. We're both (laughs) professionals here. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. I was just going to tell them some stories about when we lived in St. Lucia and had a lot of fun. No, um, who am I? So I am a holistic nutritional therapist like yourself. I'm also a personal trainer um, and I focus on helping people overcome symptoms, obstacles, improve their health using a functional medicine um, approach just like you. I work with private clients in my clinic and I also work with corporate clients um, to support their kind of workplace wellbeing programs. And uh, the way that I work, I mean, my company is called The Holistic Health Method because I really truly believe that changing just one aspect of our lives is not enough um, in the kind of um, pursuit of optimal health. Um, and instead, we need to combine kind of small incremental incremental changes um, in many aspects of our lives. So kind of like our diets, lifestyle, fitness, movement, environment, relationships, mindset, all of these areas, um, we need to combine them um, in order to kind of um, reach optimal um, well-being or just general um, health and happiness, really. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important to to say here at the beginning that Jade and I obviously have um, very similar training and likely quite similar opinions on the topic of intuitive eating. But we're both going to try and be as broad as possible and and talk about both sides of this picture. Um, Fundamentally speaking, I'm going to lay my my piece on the table. (laughs) And that is that as a nutritional therapist, I have... A lot of a lot of bugbears with the intuitive eating movement. And I think the first thing that is maybe important to touch on, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is is the difference maybe between what we do as nutritional therapists and what nutritionists and dietitians do. 
And I think that really boils down to, and you said it there in your intro, that we try and treat the whole of everything. It's not just the symptom. We're not just trying to get people to eat well. We're actually looking at absolutely everything. And in doing that, we deal with very complex conditions like autoimmunity, um, which I'm, I don't know a lot about what actually happens in a nutritionist's consultation. I'd quite like to be on a fly on the wall. But I'm guessing they don't deal with those really, really chronic health conditions. You know, the ones where you just think, what is going on? So I think, you know, you and I are coming from a place of let's not just drill it down to food. Let's let's do everything. And I think that's probably the crucial difference because when you go on social media, would you agree with me saying that Generally, it tends to be nutritionists and dietitians who are, who are more peddling the kind of intuitive eating movement. I would. Um, I, what I would also say is that um, it's all in a kind of revolt against diet culture. Yeah. And 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 diets, uh, you know, kind of in the mainstream sense, are also, as I know, not something that you and I particularly condone either. So we're, we're both barking up similar trees in in the sense that we don't think that you know going on a diet for life or yo-yo dieting or anything like that is is going to be kind of an optimal approach for health mental health or or physical health but our focus is very much on health Mm. um and it's very much on somebody will come to us with symptoms with issues with things that they may have been battling for years and years and years and they come to us because they want to take a naturopathic approach to kind of figuring out what's going on and then the healing process. Mm. And I think, therefore, you know, we're working in different channels, different lanes, doing different things. Mm. Intuitive eating is much more for people, you know, it was it was invented or kind of, you know, it came to light in 1995. It was all about helping people who um, are maybe suffering from an eating disorder or um, have severely disordered eating, um, restore their relationship with food. So it's much, much more emotional. And Mm. therefore, it is quite difficult to compare and contrast the way that we work with the way that they work, because really, we're setting out to achieve achieve different things, different goals with different types of clients. Mm. Now, bearing in mind that you and I might in our clinical practice use a quite a prescriptive diet for a short amount of time mm-hmm. what do you induce what do you take from the phrase food is medicine uh so i mean f- the reason the phrase food is medicine comes for the fact that food obviously contains uh, macronutrients and micronutrients pers- particularly micronutrients, but, you know, amino acids and all of that, that kind of thing, that our body needs to function effectively. Um, and therefore, if, for example, a body is lacking in those nutrients, um, and because they're lacking in those nutrients, they're in dysfunction, and they have illness, then actually bringing those nutrients back in could be the answer and actually could bring them back to health. And therefore, yes, you can say food is medicine. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's, it's almost one of the most important aspects of how we can kind of, uh, you know, restore our health. Yeah. And I think as, as you were talking, I can't remember who, yeah, a webinar or something I was watching. It might have been Robin because it's always Robin. And it was, you it's know, always Robin. It's always Robin. But it was food is medicine. Um, love is medicine. Nature is medicine. Connection yeah. is medicine. Movement is medicine. I think um, I. Sunlight I is medicine. Yeah, it actually is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I have a. I, I have been reading one book on intuitive eating this week in preparation for this uh, this podcast. Um, followers of my Instagram will know which one that is, but I'm not going to, yeah, fundamentally I don't agree with a lot in the book, so I'm not, not going to name and shame because it's not who I am. But there was a chapter called Food is Not Medicine. And then on the corresponding page, it was encouraging you to pick what's called your shit list, i.e. the foods that you typically think, oh, I can never eat that, like Ben and Jerry's or chocolate brownies. And I just have an issue with that 
I don't think things like that are food. I don't think that processed junk is food. Fair enough. If you've made a chocolate brownie from scratch, you know, that's a different matter. But like you were saying, you and I are interested in in the health of our clients. They're often chronically sick and we have to be quite... What's the word? Yeah, I mean, I think food is medicine. I do. I think it is. But I, like I said, we're saying, I think so many other things can be. But I think being that prescriptive about it is dangerous. You know, saying that it's not and, and allowing people to feel like they can eat whatever the hell food they want, even if it's not actually food. It's, you know, Franken food, in my opinion. <laughs> Your favourite phrase, Franken food. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think I would say that this is one of the areas in which intuitive eating or some of the kind of figureheads of the intuitive eating movement have taken things too far because they have they they've essentially demonized in some ways nutrition or the nutritional value of food mm. or made it uh basically just counted it and said it's not true there isn't there isn't a food that's better for you or worse for you and the reason that they've had to do that and go kind of you know do it in such a strong way is to encourage people to remove um, their kind of thought processes around some foods are bad, some foods are good. And they've had to mm. kind of go, no, everything's equal. Every type of food is equal. You, you need balance, da, 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 da. Mm. However, you know, I, I don't think it's fair for them to basically say nutrition isn't important. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't say that because, you know, the 10th ten, the principle in, in the intuitive eating process is about gentle nutrition. However, it is really difficult um, and potentially damaging um, to send somebody who's had a kind of disordered eating or an eating disorder or has been dieting all their life down the other road of actually you know, there is, you don't need to worry about anything. You don't need to think about anything. Mm. Um, your body will tell you what to do. Eat what you like. There isn't anything that's going to cause you problems or anything. There isn't anything that's going to, you know, make you feel better. That's fundamentally not true. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just not. And it, I, know why they, I know why they're doing it. And this is, again, this is why I'm going to keep coming back to these two channels. Their channel is we need to help people um, heal their relationship with food on an emotional level. And therefore, we have to feel that no food is restricted in order to prevent possible binges. And and it's binge eating disorder that is particularly the one that people use intuitive eating for. And I know people actually know of people who've recovered well from binge eating disorder using an intuitive eating approach. Um, But you know, those same people have then gone on to have imbalances and discover actually that they had candida overgrowth or something like that. And then they've then had to go, okay, well now, now I do need to um, think about the quality of the food that I'm eating Mm -hmm. and think about the effect that it's having on my body rather than just blanket going, everything's fine. Everything is, is acceptable in balance. Um, and yeah, maybe that that is that was the case when intuitively we evolved and our innate kind of hunger and society signals um, evolved and we only had natural foods to choose from. Mm. But we're not in that position anymore. We're in a society where there is ultra processed food at our fingertips the whole time. And then there's also food that's greenwashed and told, you know, we're told is healthy or good for us. It's also not particularly natural either. Mm. And it's confusing. It's a minefield. So uh, I actually think that from our perspective, when we're when our approach and our goal tends to be kind of improving health, you do have to classify some foods in certain ways. You do have to inform your clients that certain foods are inflammatory and certain foods are causing or are, you know, making their blood sugar dysregulation worse. Mm. You know, because that's that's how we've been trained and that's fundamentally our our role yeah. um, in those clients' lives. So yeah, I think it's it's very nuanced, but but it goes back to the fact that there is there's they're serving different purposes. Yeah, definitely. So let's let I guess sort of rewind and talk about 
the what are the main principles of intuitive eat, of intuitive eating? You mentioned number ten as being gentle nutrition. So let's talk about what the others are first. Sure, um, and I think this is just important to kind of note that there are principles to this approach because I think. Um, it, it is one of those things that when you get social media involved, um, <clears throat> a a label can be picked up by anyone and just assume that it's just just eat what you like. It isn't that, um, and and therefore it is it is very much misunderstood by a lot of people. And I think that's another danger of this kind of concept. Mm. But it was originally um, kind of engineered by these two Californian dietitians um, who wrote a book. Um, it was by Tribal and Resh. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing their names correctly. Um, so apologies if I'm not. Um, but essentially, the whole idea was to kind of um, help people to break free of food rules, embrace their intuition, internal physiology, you know, physiological cues, and block out the external cues that um, get in the way and lead us down the road of kind of extreme dieting and, you know, body, body confidence issues, etc. Um, so those principles that they they kind of outline in their book and the principles that um, assume in practice these intuitive eating nutritionists and dietitians put in place um, are one, reject the diet mentality, two, honour your hunger, three, make peace with food, four, challenge the food police. So that's when we get the whole there is no good, no bad. Um mm-hmm. Five, discover the satisfaction factor. So understand when you actually feel full, no, when you feel satisfied. And then six is feel your fullness. So they definitely Mm -hmm. differentiate the difference between satisfaction and feeling full. Mm -hmm. Seven, cope with your emotions with kindness. So you get into kind of actually don't beat yourself up about things. Um, Eight, respect your body. Nine, movement, feel the difference. So this is actually about making sure that people are also exercising too, but they're not being militant about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 10, on your health with gentle nutrition. So on your health is that the last Number principle. 10. <laughs> oh, I just despair. But I get it. I get it, right? In the, those mm. extreme cases where people are terrified of food, you know, they've been, they had an eating disorder for 10 years or whatever, and they just can't, you know, get themselves out of calorie counting or being on these extreme diets or literally just not eating anything. Yeah. Like, I get why they've put these principles in place. And, you know, we it is positive for many people. And, and actually, there's been studies um, on kind of intuitive eating, particularly in kind of obese people, or overweight people. And those studies have shown that kind of once showed men and women who practice intuitive eating were less likely to be overweight or obese. And they saw it as, um, you know, another study found that practicing intuitive eating was beneficial for general weight management. So again, maybe from a weight management perspective, when somebody has gone from yo-yo dieting and all of that stuff, actually just being more intuitive and removing those all those kind of parameters and mm. restrictions that you feel, yes, of course, that's super positive. And also, just to, to note, I don't standardly want to restrict my clients in clinic. Mm. I, I, only, I only would like them to restrict certain food types or groups or whatever if they really need to, if we have um, all of the signs and symptoms or the functional test results that show that they need to do that because they're allergic or they've got severe intolerance or mm-hmm. they have an autoimmune condition. But mm-hmm. we don't want people to assume that, you know, the minute they come into a nutritional therapy clinic, we're just going to say, remove all of these foods. It's much more about replacing. And actually, my focus is much more about um, increasing variety and diversity of foods and, and abundance. And I never ask somebody to count calories or weigh their food or anything. I just want them to, yeah, to some extent, be natural and, and intuitive, you could say, about what they're putting on their plates, but within guidelines that, you know, help to kind of steer mm. them in the right direction for yeah. their own health. I want to talk about intuitive eating and social media because something that I spend a lot of time doing in my clinic, and I'm sure you're the same, is actually educating on 
food and and explaining the concept of real food, you know, encouraging people to cook from scratch, to buy vegetables that they don't normally buy, to shop seasonally, to increase, as you were saying, the diversity of their their diet and what they're putting on their plate to eat at least one thing from every color of the rainbow every single day so they're hitting Mm -hmm. all their you know plant polyphenols but with all of that what I'm also doing is saying you don't need to eat how you've seen people eating on social media at all you just need to eat like an intuitive human and what is is right for your body but I often find that with the intuitive eating side of things on social media it's it's kind of like when you follow those people doing it, it's just a green light for whatever the hell you want, which is kind of what we touched on at the beginning. So I then get people coming to me in clinic feeling feeling like um, they can eat the same way as their favorite influencer because it's working for them. And, you know, none of us know what's going on in the background. And like you were saying, there are specific times where if you do have a fungal overgrowth or if you have got candida, and we actually have done the testing to prove that, um, as I did this morning, got some test results back for someone who has got candida, you probably will be saying to them, you shouldn't have as much sugar. Um, Mm -hmm. And yet you've got people with hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram saying, eat the damn donut. And I think that's what I find hardest. Um, do you find that as well in clinic that you're main you're, you're trying to actually strip back all of this noise from social media? Yes, um, from social media and just from just mainstream mass media and diet culture. I mean, my pet peeve is calorie counting. Mm. I honestly, I my could fitness speak, pal. I could speak for days and days and days. I mean, I'm a qualified personal trainer, and I am very much against calorie counting because calories mean nothing. They don't tell us about the quality of the food. And this is where we get back to the idea that actually food does have quality. Like Mm. some is higher quality than others, you know, in terms of how it's going to affect the body. Um, Social media is, it's a huge and complex subject. Um, And let's face it, it's also probably largely responsible for the incredibly high rates of body dysmorphia, mm. disordered eating in society, you know, we could say it's its an epidemic. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I read somewhere um, that I think a, a couple of years ago, the rates of body dysmorphia in girls aged 17 to 19 was one in 20, um, wow. which is super high. And you think if we'd have done, if we'd have asked that question 20 years ago, would it have been anywhere near as high? Probably mm. not. And what's the thing that's changed? Well, social media has become Comparison. so prevalent. Yeah. And the and the other thing that's actually really ironic is yes, well, there's so much to say, but the, the thing that's ironic is when intuitive eating is kind of taken as a hashtag on social media, and you actually get people who are intuitively eating trying to influence other people yeah. on how to eat, it goes completely against the whole premise of intuitive eating, which is supposed to be about blocking out any external cues and the noise and just listening to your own body. And so it, it's so nuanced and you can't just, you can't just say that it's like, you know, the golden bullet, this is the answer, because mm. actually it's, it's really, it's been taken and misconstrued and miscommunicated and it's got all very kind of hazy. And like you say, there will be some people who think, you know, who haven't done the research, who don't know enough about it, who just think, oh, well, the way that I should be eating is just eating what I damn well please. Mm. And, you know, people telling me that, you know, this ultra processed ice cream that I'm eating for, you know, I'm diving into every night is bad for me is wrong because there's no food that's bad. And, you know, it's, it's just not, it's not that simple. Mm. It's not as simple to just say, actually, let's just censor everything and, you know, nothing's a problem. And the other thing, like you say, and you touched on is everybody is different. So my pet peeve is what I eat in a day. But imagine what oh, I yeah. eat in, imagine what I eat in a day with the hashtag of intuitive eating. Because that's you going, this is everything that I eat, even though it might not be. And I might have actually had some other snacks that I'm not showing you. Mm. Um, and I'm intuitively eating and you should too. So therefore, if you should be intuitively eating, you should be getting off social media. You shouldn't be following these people. And yeah, yeah it's it's very, very twisted in parts. 
But that what I eat in a day business um, piece is, is it's big. No, I was going to say it's big business, especially if you're a, a YouTuber. Um, yeah. I don't. Why are we so fascinated with we, with what each other are eating? Because everybody has got some kind of disordered eating, and also I think it's to do with the fact that no one knows what the, you know, what the hell they should be doing because yeah. there's so many conflicting messages out there. Um, and people maybe feel safer to look at this beautiful, you know, model with a great body who looks really healthy and is always happy and look at what they're eating and go, oh, well, that's, that's what I should be eating then, Mm. you know, and I'll just ignore all the other things that are confusing me and I'll just do Mm. that. Um, I, and this is exactly why I think the confusion around like food and nutrition and dieting is something that I'm sure you face every single time you uh, see a client in clinic and I do and I generally feel that our role is to cut through all of that yeah and to focus that person on themselves and to focus that person on what their individual goals are and what their individual needs are but Mm. in doing that we do need to put in some recommendations guidelines parameters Mm. you know it wouldn't be any good if we gave somebody a health (laughs) health optimization plan that basically just said you do you hun (laughs) yeah also because you know these people are paying to see us and we might we might be asking them to shell out a few hundred pounds on functional testing running bloods doing stool analysis and then if after all of that you were just like actually know what fuck it go and eat ice cream three times a day you know they're not getting their money's worth are they yeah no food is bad for you you know no food is bad for you jade not even oatly barista um (laughs) So uh, let's not go into that. Um, What was I about to ask you? Yes. Okay. So having said all of that, Mm -hmm. what is your rationale behind? And I'm also, you know, asking myself the same question and feel free to throw it back in my face. What is your rationale behind and how do you feel when you post your food on social media? Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking about this um, in preparation for this podcast because I was thinking you know, actually, how is what I eat in a day any different to me just posting a a plate of food? Uh, And I guess, so I guess it's a a few things. Firstly, and this is is quite sweeping, so apologies if I kind of make a bit of a boo-boo here, but I think a lot of people who do a what I eat in a day post tend to not be qualified in nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, And secondly... I post food to encourage people to, you know, think about the diversity of food and colour and texture and, uh, you know, type of food and macronutrient and micronutrient they can put on their plate, give people inspiration uh, and remind them that to eat real foods, um, you know, to eat a kind of a whole food first diet, which is the way that I kind of approach eating is still exciting and enjoyable and delicious. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's basically just to give people ideas. I'm not saying you need to eat this, but I do say you're better off balancing your plate. You're better off having mm-hmm. protein in your breakfast. You're better off doing these things because of the, you know, biochemical effects that you know, is are going on in the body. Hmm. So I guess it's, again, complex, nuanced, but I don't post food to expect somebody to then recreate that exact meal. Yeah. It's inspiration. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's something I've thought about a lot too because I think it was during the... It was either during the Oatly saga or the porridge saga where I had quite a lot not a lot maybe three messages on Instagram a bit of a kind of backlash against what I was saying from people saying with all due respect I have a difficult relationship with food or I'm reco- I've re- recovered from an eating disorder but what you're saying is triggering me I'm gonna unfollow you and at that stage I I said thank you so much for letting me know I appreciate that off you go, like no hard feelings. And I think that was because, I I think it was the porridge thing and how I was talking about, you know, 
just having porridge for breakfast made with oat milk with loads of fruit on top with some maple syrup and some chopped dates is a huge bowl of sugar. And mm-hmm. that ideally I would like people to be having protein, vegetables, you know, porridge as well, but also like with some protein alongside in order to kind of stabilize blood sugar and not start your day with a massive bowl of, of sugar, essentially. And um, I did think at that stage, am I being too... Am I being too out there? Am I am I making this difficult for people? Am I being a bad person on Instagram by saying, by vilifying porridge? Because, and I think the reason it was so hard for so many people is because the general dialogue is that porridge is a healthy food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's better than Cocoa Pops. It's better than Shreddies for breakfast. So I did take a long, hard look at things then. And I did think, is is what I've done wrong but I only had like I said maybe three of those messages the rest of the hundreds were this is super interesting I actually feel really crap at 11am after my bowl of porridge I might try having eggs as a side dish and see how I go and for me that outweighs the the other comments because people were feeling better they were having and and the messages I've had since saying eggs and veg have changed my life has has been incredible because that is people getting you know eggs eggs are an amazing source of nutrition as we know that they're packed full of sorry vegans but everything you need to create a life is in an egg um and it's it's wonderfully dense nutrition it is a good way to start the day it doesn't have to be an egg but there you go and you know people were having veg they were having color they were having different types of fiber and yeah porridge is not inherently bad but pouring syrups and dates and all of that stuff on top of it as well it's just a lot so I think for me you know at that stage I thought okay maybe I need to be a bit more careful and I think since then I have been um and if I post food I I do a story I just don't really put a caption I'm just like lunch um and Hi. yeah and I, I sort of just let people get on with it but I think it, you know Everyone needs to be aware that nobody is perfect. And behind that, you know, I could be scoffing a pizza. They don't know. But I think people, I think we all need to assume that everyone is in order to have a healthier environment around social media and and like consumption on social media of food. Would you agree? Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, But I also think that we are trained to educate people on what's going on in their bodies. Mm and recommend approaches to benefit their health. And, and that we shouldn't be afraid to do that on no, social media? and give them ideas. Yeah. And if we're going to say, actually, if you compare eggs and veg to a bowl of porridge made with oat milk that doesn't really have any protein in it, it's mainly just, you know, berries and honey, of course, like from a physiological perspective, your body is going to prefer that eggs and veg, even if your mind you know, at that point in time, prefers the porridge. Mm. Um, because over time, you know, your your chemicals will change. And suddenly, actually, when your blood sugar starts to stabilize, you will be craving the eggs and veg more than you'd be craving the porridge anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily know that we should feel that we have to kind of censor ourselves, because it's literally what we have trained to do. And it's literally what we're passionate about doing. And everything that we do, just like in clinic, I never, ever say you have to do this. I never say you have to eat this many vegetables a day or you have to remove gluten. I say, you know, try or aim to or, you know, replace with or and they're recommendations. They're not rules. They're recommendations. Mm. They're guidance. And um, people want it. That's the thing, Grace. People want ideas people want to know I mean I'm sure you have every single client you see asking you okay can you send me some recipe recommendations I need some more inspiration over what I should be having for lunch or whatever and that's why they're resorting to going to social media to the what I eat in a day videos Mm. because people actually want the guidance and they feel lost because there's so much confusion around what to eat and what not to eat Mm. and I think it's one of the biggest flaws with the intuitive eating concept is that your body doesn't just know what it needs if it's in dysfunction 
and you've been drowning in diet culture and mass media for your entire life. It just doesn't, you just won't know. It would take a lot of work. And I would argue it would take some nutritional interventions to rebalance the body in order for your body to start firing on all cylinders again Mm -hmm. so that it can communicate with you effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all of the hormones and stuff that just get out of balance just from a bad night's sleep, for example. And you think if somebody hasn't been eating a great diet for years and years and years, how on earth is their body just going to go, oh no, I need, you know, really magnesium rich spinach and some red meat for lunch. (laughs) Yeah, there was a a section in in one of these uh, intuitive eating books that I was reading just now about how um, sugar apparently isn't addictive. Um, And (laughs) yeah, I know, lol. But one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment, and anyone that follows me on Instagram will know this, is um, mold. And this is just one example as to why sugar is addictive, aside from the whole dopamine connection in the brain. Um, if you have a, some sort of fungal overgrowth, if you have gut dysbiosis, which we all do, like I don't see anyone's stool analysis that is what I would consider to be amazing. But also to caveat that, we don't know that much about gut health yet. It's still really evolving. And I, I, I don't think there's like... Uh, an ideal gut flora but there are certain strains of bacteria that will make your body crave sugar and also things like mold which isn't necessarily gut dysbiosis but that also does it too because it's a living organism and it needs sugar to feed on and if it's not getting it from you it will send out signals that you need to eat bread the simpler the carbohydrate the better so where does you know there's no space for that kind of knowledge in the intuitive eating dogma is there because it doesn't allow for personalized nutrition it doesn't allow for um childhood trauma it doesn't allow for um a high toxic burden it doesn't allow for chronic stress it doesn't allow for your relationship that broke down last year Whereas looking at the body holistically and from every angle does. And at that point, we would, I would then make dietary recommendations based off all of that. Like if I am working with someone that's recover, recovering from an eating disorder, even if they have got a chronic dis, gut dysbiosis, I don't use a restrictive diet because I don't want to trigger anything. It's, you know, it's not worth it. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess... After kind of saying all of that, my question to you is, do you think in our 21st century where there are so many factors affecting our health, do you think that the intuitive eating movement has legs for the future? Uh, I think it depends, again, like coming back to what I said at the beginning on the capacity and the goal um, and the individual. Um, I think that I do think that there is legs for it in the eating disorder recovery. I don't, I wouldn't recommend an intuitive eating approach to any of my clients who came in to see me because they had some kind of imbalance or symptoms that were suggesting that the body was um, dysregulated in in any way or in dysfunction. So they had, like you said, all of those things um, are really important factors to consider and we have created, we may not have uh, innately had uh, such a distinction between cravings and such dysregulated kind of leptin and ghrelin, which is your kind of satiety and hunger hormones, when we were sapiens, homo sapiens, for example, because we only had natural food at our fingertips. So we weren't throwing anything into the mix that was throwing us off so much. Um, But Mm. now that can happen so easily. And actually, if you are saying eat all the food, no food is bad, but you're also saying listen to your body, your body knows best. There is a contradiction. Yeah, there is a conflict there and it is fundamental and it can't be argued otherwise. And I actually listened to a podcast yesterday from somebody um, in the intuitive eating space and um, they were talking about hunger and um, there was a question from a listener that said, "If what if I'm hungry an hour after I've had a meal? And the response was, eat. And my response would 
not be don't eat, but my response would be, well, let's think about why. Let's think about why you're hungry an hour after eating. What did your plate of food look like? Was mm. it balanced? How big was it? How big was the portion size? Um, did you eat it really quick, quickly? Did you eat it mindfully? Did mm. you eat it while you were, you know, on a Zoom call or kind of running from A to B on the move? Think about that and then think about, okay, what are my what are my signals in my body that's saying I'm hungry? Do I just have a bit of taste hunger where I actually just fancy a bit of chocolate? Mm. Or do I genuinely feel dizzy or uh, irritable or something like that, which would suggest it's not hunger, it's blood sugar dysregulation. And so instead of just saying, well, then eat, I would say, okay, let's think about how we can address the fact that you're having a potentially large plate of food and a meal and an hour later you're hungry because that's screaming to me that there's all kinds of things going on in the body that we need to look at as a matter of kind of urgency because you will not be able to rectify that by just continuing perpetuating that cycle and going Mm. well eat again Mm. and then eat again Mm. and if you're feeling hungry but you just you just want something small you might you're more likely to reach for a packet of crisps or a chocolate bar or something little, a little snack. And then that's going to, you know, perpetuate yeah. that blood sugar dysregulation. So it it really goes back to the fact that if somebody is severely um, conflicted and feels no food freedom and is really struggling with their relationship with food and is struggling to just put food in their bodies without beating themselves up about it, yes, intuitive eating could be a great approach. But for anyone who has like a baseline level of knowledge about what they should be eating and doesn't feel you're really, really emotionally kind of drained by the concept of figuring out what to eat every day, Mm. I probably wouldn't send them down the path of intuitive eating because that might be sending them back in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I think as well, just on on the blood sugar point, you know, I, I think largely speaking, proponents of intuitive eating kind of disagree with blood sugar in the sense that you know the argument will be oh but we have insulin and insulin will sort out your blood sugar and that is true insulin will and they'll say you know you only need to worry about that if you type 1 or type 2 diabetic whatever but I think my question is always okay but is it optimal Mm -hmm. because we can eat whatever we want and we can be relatively healthy But we can optimise. We can start our day with a a balanced plate, which will keep blood sugar stable, which will not require insulin to do its job. Insulin only does its job if it has to. It's not something that's a necessary function. And I feel like people fall back on it. Certainly people I follow on social media fall back on that. Like, oh, don't worry about having um, a chocolate brownie for breakfast because, you know, our body has insulin for that. It's like saying you don't need to worry about detox because you've got a liver and kidneys. Well, yes, you have a liver and kidneys, but what are you putting on your skin every day? What are you breathing in at work? Have you got mold in your house? Are you chronically stressed? Is your food covered in absolute crap from pesticide residues oh yes they've tested to see if pesticides are bad for the human body but only at certain levels and you know etc etc depends when the food is picked blah 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 like we can we can do better we can do okay but we can do better yeah and the amount of people that we see in our clinics with methylation issues or all kinds of things even genetic that that, you know Mm. are there from a genetic perspective that you know have always been there and actually Mm. they're not detoxifying things properly and um you know they do need support and you can't just assume that your body is going to work for you and it's going to get you out of of a deep hole and actually this is this is something that was on the same podcast um the lady was saying you know trust your body your body will always work for you and I was like in my Apart experience, from, that has I, never I, just, I just thought I, exactly take Grace King to as an example, but no, but I just thought uh, apart from when it doesn't work for you, because yeah. that's we would be out of a job if everyone's bodies just worked for them. In fact, there would be no ill health, you know, no. around us if everybody's bodies just worked all the time. And you talked about insulin. I mean, think about leptin. So leptin is our, um, you know, appetite 
suppressing hormone. Um, so it's the main one that we think about that will make us feel full. And it's produced in fat cells. And because it's produced in fat cells and the connection with kind of adipose tissue and visceral fat, you tend to find that leptin in obese people is really, really high. And the reason it's really, really high as well is because the body is trying to tell the person to stop eating, to, to, mm. that it's full. However, what they've seen in clinical trials is that it doesn't matter that this leptin is super high. Your receptors are now resistant to the leptin. Mm. So the body's not listening to it. So even though the body is like battling with itself, it's trying to tell itself that it needs to stop eating. Mm. The receptors have gone too much. I'm bored of it. I'm not listening anymore. And so that person keeps eating. So yeah. that's a, a case in point example of our body doesn't always work for us, unfortunately. No. Um, and so, it, you know, it's slightly flawed as an approach in terms of if you want to pursue optimal health, I wouldn't encourage somebody to to go from yo-yo dieting to intuitive eating and expect themselves to be super healthy from a kind of physical perspective. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you were saying, you can have the most perfect diet ever, um, but you can have a genetic snip that means you don't methylate well, which is for listeners, very simply a form of kind of detox, like a detox pathway. Um, and, and therefore you probably will need to take supplements for life and you, you know, otherwise you'll feel like crap. Um, yeah, I think to round up, it's nuanced, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, how do we round this up? And I was just thinking then as you're talking as well about calories, one thing I see coming back on organic acid testing, for those that are listening that does, doesn't know what that is, it's a functional test that we use, it's called an oat test, and it measures metabolites in the urine, um, is mitochondrial dysfunction in clients of mine that classically are overweight and are consuming too many calories because too many calories screws up one of the pathways in the mitochondria and your mitochondria is like your powerhouse it creates energy in the cell it does a lot of good shit and you don't really want it to be messed up so it's yeah it's just not it's not as simple as eat the food is it it's just eat not. the food it's not but I guess I would round up by saying yeah it's very complex, it's very nuanced, and we may have triggered a few people in this conversation, so apologies if we have. Mm. I think it's important to interrogate these things. It's important to do the research. It's important to think about, you know, the counter-argument and, and for people to have opinions. But also, it's important for you to do what's right for you. Fundamentally, mm. that's the most important thing. And we're not saying... Um, you know, food should only be considered as nutritional, you know, for its nutritional value. It shouldn't be fun. It shouldn't be, you know, a cultural thing. It shouldn't be a part of communion. It shouldn't be, you know, comfort sometimes. Like, I mean, I'm not a saint. I'm a nutritional therapist and I eat chocolate like most days. And, oh, you yeah. know, I, I, my, you know, you've seen the size of my portions. They're absolutely huge and they could probably be smaller, but I don't really care. I think the most important thing is that I do what, I would like to do, but I do it with knowledge. And I think you, if you really want to kind of choose the best eating approach for yourself, having the knowledge is the mm. power, right? Yeah. Once you have the knowledge, you can then make the decision about what, what works for you mentally and physically. Mm. Um, and they might be conflicting. You know, I, I actually had a conversation earlier with um, somebody who, who actually the girl that I was talking about who recovered from the eating disorder using intuitive eating mm. and she then discovered she had candida and other things I hope that she doesn't mind me using her as an example um because she will be listening but basically she now um utilizes an 80 20 rule which I think is really good so it's kind of 80 percent intuitive and you know not having the rules and kind of doing what she like oh no sorry I think it's the other way around 80 percent being kind of mindful of the candida and all of that kind of stuff and, you know, considering her dietary choices based on the fact that she doesn't want to be fueling this imbalance in her body and she wants to be healing her body. But then 20% being like, 
it's okay, you know, if I want to go and get an almond croissant or, you know, if that's my weekend tradition or if I really, I want to have chocolate cake or I want to blow out on my birthday, I can. And I'm not going to ruminate about that for days and days and days. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be a a quick decision that I make and then I, you know, I don't worry about it after I've done it. Mm. And I think that's great as well. But so she's going... Food is great and I can enjoy it all, but I also need to be mindful of the fact that I should be restricting a few things based on my health status. Yeah. So it's it's never one clear cut approach is what mm. we're really saying, is it? You have to kind of just have balance and yeah. find what's appropriate for you. So essentially, listeners, if you'd like Jade and I to rant on about any other topics, <laughs> do send them my way and maybe we'll do this again. I really hope that that was useful and insightful for a lot of people and and like you said I hope it wasn't too triggering it's just our opinion and you don't have to take it you know like I put this podcast out into the world I put myself on social media it's your choice if you agree but I think fundamentally what we've done is laid out a lot of really useful information Um, hopefully people can go away and if it's something that they're interested in then they can research it and like you said make the best decisions for themselves for them personally yeah exactly and if you are currently doing intuitive eating hopefully you won't be listening to this podcast or you'll be able to block it out as an external cue that might affect your decision making Mm. process Because that's essentially how it should be working, right? We should all be able to choose what information we want to use based on what's right for us. Totally. But at the back of my head, I can see a very funny sketch that I'm sure a comedian has done at some stage where they just stuff themselves with cake and go, oh, but I'm intuitive eating. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have said that last bit. You might have to edit that out, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jade, thank you so much for coming on State of Mind. It's been wonderful. I'm sure we'll see you again on the podcast. Um, just quickly, where can people find you and interact with you online? Great, yes. I mean, well, thank you for having me. And it's been lovely chatting to you just because you're my mate as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we talk about these things off air, so it's nice to talk about them on it. Um, you can find me at underscore Jade Layton, so that's L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, but it will obviously be in the, the podcast, um, and at www.theholistichealthmethod.com. And yeah, that's pretty much it, really. Yeah. Don't float around any other parts. <laughs> Don't do Twitter or anything like that. Just keep no. it to Instagram. Yeah, keep it to Insta. And yeah, so Jade also has a private clinic, same as me, and uh, you can book in with her via her website. So there you go. Thank you so much, Jade. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Series 7 of State of Mind. If you enjoyed the episode, please do head on over to the Apple Podcast app and leave a little five-star review as that really helps. And for more from me, you can check out my Patreon page, which supports this podcast. And I give out loads of really interesting um, tidbits about nutritional therapy and lifestyle medicine on there. Um, Just Google search Patreon Grace Kingswell and on Instagram, at Grace Kingswell. See you very soon. Bye-bye.